Revelation 12. Maybe there, getting there. Still looking. Last book. Right before weights and measurements. <laughs> Lord, we thank you so much this morning. It's so good to be together. We know it's not an accident or a coincidence that you've brought us to this place. For such a time as this, Lord, no other time like it in history where we see your return for us drawing near. And Lord, as we settle our hearts before you now, as we continue to worship you, as we open your word, would you speak to our hearts and meet us in a special way this morning? May your word be that which fashions us and changes us and transforms us. We thank you so much that every word is pure and that you are a shield to those who put their trust in you. And so we trust you this morning. We thank you for your protection. Please protect us physically, spiritually this morning that we might hear your word to correctly divide your word and to correctly apply it in our lives that we might bear fruit for your glory. And so we thank you for the great things you're going to do this morning. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, your precious and your holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. And so um, just by way of reminder, I like to set the context every week to where we are um, in the scriptures. Remember, we are looking at future events, events that have yet to happen in chapter 6 through chapter 19, it is a seven-year period that is going to happen on earth. Um, that period of time is known as the, the tribulation period. I do not believe we will be here as Christians. I believe Jesus will come as he said he would, as he promised in John chapter 14. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Can you imagine the place he's got prepared for you right now? Think it's going to be good or it's going to be a major bummer? It could be awesome. I mean, think about the thing. I mean, does he know what you like? Does he know what you like? Favorite colors? Favorite stuff? things. I think it's going to be amazing, the place he's prepared for us. We're going to be blown away. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, for all eternity, we're going to see new facets of his grace and be blown away by his goodness, things that we don't deserve at all because of his great love for you and for me. So Jesus is coming to rescue us. In chapter 6 through 19, the church is no longer mentioned on earth. Jesus will come before the tribulation to take us to the place he's prepared for us. We will escape the wrath that is to come on planet earth. And the tribulation, there's three reasons, if you're taking notes, I've talked about this before, three reasons for the tribulation. Number one, God will fumigate planet earth. In other words, he will remove wickedness and wicked ones. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 13, I think it's right around verse 9, the Old Testament speaks about this time in lots of different places. 
That's the only one I can remember the address of right now. But God is going to remove wickedness and wicked ones from planet Earth. Number two reason. We saw this earlier in the book of Revelation. There will be a great awakening on planet Earth. Lots of people will get saved from all different tribes, tongues, nations, people groups. Lots of people will get saved during a time of, of difficulty, of, of tribulation, of heaviness. And for some of us, that's what it took to break us, too. Any amens to that? Did it, take it took it to, to break me, to surrender to Jesus Christ. It took a lot of heaviness. A lot of gnarly stuff happened in my life. And I know some of you, you've shared your testimony with me. It was heaviness that brought you to surrender in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so it's going to take a lot of that to break people of their hardness, of their hearts. And, and I just want to encourage us this morning. Um, we had another prodigal come back to the Lord this morning, come home. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. That's awesome. And we've been praying for prodigals. And if you come and ask me for prayer, and it's funny because two people after, after first service came and asked me for prayer. If you ask me to pray for your prodigal, here's how I'm going to pray. Lord, do whatever it takes to get a hold of their heart. Let them have no peace and no rest till they find rest and peace in you. And we've seen over and over prodigals come home. And for many of them, it took extreme tribulation and heaviness. And so, praise the Lord for what he does. In the tribulation, lots of people are going to get saved. It'll be through heaviness and difficulty. And then the final reason for the tribulation, please don't miss this, God is going to break the stubborn will of the Jewish people. At the end of the tribulation, there will be Jews that cry out, and recognize in recognition that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. Can I just remind us this morning that God's not through with the Jew? It's important because we're going to talk about that this morning. In fact, if you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Remember, Daniel was in Babylon, it was the end of the captivity period. He was reading his Bible. He recognized that the captivity of 70 years was coming to a close. And he began to pray, to weep, to fast, and, and to cry out to God. And what happened? God gave him a revelation of what's going to happen concerning the nation of Israel, Jerusalem, and his people. And he said, God told him through the angel that there would be 490 years on the prophetic clock or calendar for the nation of Israel, if you will, and the Jewish people. The clock started with the signing of a decree by Artaxerxes Longimanus, Nehemiah chapter 2, for Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the wall and the streets in Jerusalem. And for 483 years, from the signing of that decree, 483 years would be the presentation of the Messiah to the nation of Israel. Remember when Jesus came riding in on that donkey? Y'all remember that? Palm, what's it called? Palm Sunday. Everybody was crying out what? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were stoked. Tons of people waiting right there as he came cruising down on the donkey. You guys remember that? He presented himself as the promised Messiah to Israel. The problem was a few days later, what did they say? We have no king, but Caesar, crucify him, kill him. And it says in John chapter 1, he came to his own, and his own what? Received him not. 
And so it tells us in Daniel 9, in that passage, that, the, that God put that prophetic clock on a pause. When the Messiah was cut off, not for himself, for us he gave his life, for us he was pierced, for our transgressions, he was wounded for, for our iniquities. The time clock stopped, and, what, and what's happening in between the 483 years and the 490 years, there's a period right there, and God is choosing a bride for his son, and that is us, the bride of Christ. But that clock will start again. There's seven more years on the prophetic clock known as the tribulation. And it will begin, again, Daniel 9, it will begin with the Antichrist, this world ruler, very suave, very, very, uh, very cool, very hip. He will sign a covenant, some kind of treaty with many of the Jews for seven years. Midway through, what's midway through? Three and a half years. He's going to break the covenant. He's going to put a stop to offerings and sacrifices that will be going on in the rebuilt temple. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he will proclaim himself as God and demand to be worshipped. And the Jews will go, rut row, uh-oh. And Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 24. I think it's right around verse 15. The abomination of desolation. You guys remember that? Abomination of desolation set up there in the temple. Some kind of image to the Antichrist. And what's going to happen? He's going to go on the war path. The Antichrist will hunt down the Jewish people. He will hunt down Christians. He will turn. That's why Jesus says, hey, man, flee to the wilderness. When you see that happen, when you see the abomination of desolation, take off, man, haul. In fact, we're going to talk about that this morning in just a minute. Or you who are on the rooftop, don't go down and get your stuff. Very Jewish in flavor, the Olivet Discourse. And so what's so awesome, though, is at the end of the seven-year period, Jesus will come back to set up his kingdom for how long? A thousand years, otherwise known as the millennial. Is that when the millennials will reign? No, 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 no. That's when Jesus will reign. That never gets old, by the way. <laughs> Jesus will set up his kingdom for a thousand years. We will be partnering. He's going to share his ministry with us. That's amazing. And then comes the new heavens and the new earth. And um, so the best is yet to come for us, gang. And so um, the tribulation unfolds. We're, we're learning in Revelation, again, 6 through 19, that the tribulation unfolds with chronological judgments. Remember, they began with the seven seal judgments. The seventh seal gave way to the seven trumpet judgments, the seventh trumpet judgment we talked about last week will give way to the seven bowl judgments. And so these will happen chronologically, sequentially, but we're learning as we're studying this book together that in between some of these judgments, there are, there's intermissions, there's little pauses, if you will, or a parentheses where God gives us more information, more insight or some of the backstory to what's going on during the tribulation period. This morning, all the way through chapter 14, we won't get there this morning though, we're going to be introduced to seven figures, seven key figures or personages that will be around during the tribulation period. And so, is that enough of an intro? Shall we get roll? Here we go. I'm not waiting for an answer. Verse 1, look what God's Word says, gang. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, 
with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. I want to stop right there. Let me draw your attention to verse 1. So what does John see? John sees a great or a mega sign. What do signs do? What do signs do? They point us. When you're driving I-10 west and you see that little squirrel with the red hat turned up, you guys ever see that little dude? It's a sign, it's a sign, right? That tells you what? That food, yeah, bathrooms are up ahead. Signs point us, right, to something. They give us information as well. Listen, signs are an attention-getting means of communication. And so what do, he sees a great sign here, and what is the sign? Look what it says. He gives a description of this woman. And so we've moved into some figurative language, correct? Do you guys see that? It's a, I've never seen a woman clothed with sun. I know my bride, Tanya, she radiates. But this woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, this garland, this headband with 12 stars. And so I just want to remind us, um, John is using here figurative language to describe real people, real personages, real events that will be happening on the planet at this time during the tribulation. So who is she? If this is figurative language, there's, it's symbolic. Who in the world is this woman? Do we read about a woman like this anywhere else in Scripture? Do we find imagery like this anywhere else in Scripture? Remember, I've reminded us a few times that the book of Revelation has over 500 references back to the Old Testament. And so if you're taking notes, Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to this dude named Joseph. You guys remember Joseph? Had 11 brothers. You guys remember him? Dad Jacob, a.k.a. Israel. And Joseph had dreams, didn't he? He liked to, he liked to tell everybody about his dreams. Look what God showed me. Right? Hey, I had this, I, dream, I dreamed I had my sheaf, and he told his brothers, and, and you guys were the other 11 sheaves, and your sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. I wonder what that means. And then he told his dad and his brothers, or his brothers told his dad about the next dream. You guys remember what it was? I'm going to read it real quick. Genesis chapter 37. 
This, this dream helps us identify who the woman is. Genesis 37, uh, I think it's verse 9. Oh, yeah, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him. And said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And that's exactly what happened, right, with Joseph. So this imagery, this is speaking of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. It will make more sense as we work our way through. So let's check this out together. John sees now the actions of the woman in verse 2. And he describes the woman as being pregnant and she's crying as she's giving birth in verse 2. When did the nation of Israel give birth to a male child who was caught up to God? We read about him being caught up to God, right? Sitting at the right hand of the father and then coming to rule with a rod of iron. Who's that speaking of, that male child? Jesus. Speaking of Jesus. That's right. And so when did that happen? When Jesus came. Jesus came at a time Jesus came at a time when Israel was under the occupation and oppression of the Roman government. And it was a hard time, a gnarly, a time of travail, if you will. And that's when Jesus came through, the, as in his humanity, he came through the nation of Israel, through the tribe of Judah, through the line of David, as God had predicted all along. And so it was through the nation that the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, came into the world. And by the way, we should be grateful to, to the Jewish people. Do you guys know that this morning? They've given us the two greatest things of all time, the Scriptures and the Savior. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way, if you're taking notes, in Romans 9. I'm going to read it real quick. He said, amazing that he said this, speaking about his own countrymen, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom. According to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God Amen. And so verse 2 speaks of the nation of Israel bringing forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ, beautifully in accordance with the scriptures. And then verse 3, John sees another sign. Look what it says. What do signs do again? They point us to something, right? They give us information also. Signs are what? They're attention, getting means of communication, another sign. And so he says, behold, behold means check it out. And what does John see? He sees a dragon. Who is this dragon? Who? How do we know that? If we read ahead, look at verse 9 with me real quick. Verse 9. I read ahead, that's how I know. So... So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And so it's the devil, it's Satan who's described here. And notice what it says with me, um, how he's described figuratively. We learn some characteristics about him. Number one, he's fiery. What does it say? Fiery what? 
Fiery red speaks of his murderous character. He's bloodthirsty, his eagerness to shed blood. Jesus said that he's a murderer. He's been a murderer from the beginning. And then notice also he's got seven heads. That speaks of his comprehensive intelligence. Ten horns. We see in scripture when you see horns, it's kind of like a bull that has horns. It speaks of their power, their strength. And so it speaks of Satan's power, his strength. And if you're taking notes, check this out later. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. It's very important because um, in Daniel 7, we learn that the ten horns speak of ten rulers or leaders that will be a part of a final ruling empire on earth that will ultimately yield their power to the Antichrist. We'll learn about that in a couple of weeks. But this tells us that Satan is behind that world-ruling empire. Satan is behind um, evil and, uh, and wickedness. And therefore, notice also seven crowns or, or diadems are on his heads also. Speaks of authority. And that tells us Satan will use all of his, his um, intelligence, power, authority. And what will he do? He will exercise it through the Antichrist in the end times during the tribulation period. Look at the actions of the dragon. Verse 4. What did he do with his tail? The tail, his tail, the dragon's tail pulled in one-third of the stars of heaven, and then what? And then sent them to planet Earth. When in the world did Satan do that? When, did, when he fell. I think that's what it's talking about. He fell, if you're taking, if you're taking notes again, <laughs> Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. I'll let you find the addresses on your own. It speaks of Satan's fall, artist formerly known as Lucifer, Right? He was God's worship leader, anointed cherub. Because of his pride, he was lifted up in his heart, right? He wanted to be most like, he wanted to be like God most high, to usurp the throne. And what did he do? He led a rebellion, and one-third of the angels, the, the fallen angels, went with him, and they sealed their fate forever. They made a choice. And by the way, people say that to me sometimes. Why did God create such a wicked being? He didn't. He chose. He was exalted to this place, the worship leader in heaven, an amazing place, the privilege, how glorious to be right there at the throne of God and then to rebel against God. And all third of the angels sealed their fate. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, hell, the lake of fire was created for the devil and his fallen angels and those that reject the Gospel of Jesus Christ as well. And so... Um, Satan, uh, let me just remind us, Satan is not God's co-equal. Correct? Jesus is the creator. The devil is a created being. If Satan has any equal, it'll be Michael the archangel. And we'll see that in just a moment as we work our way through. But currently, what's going on with Satan? He, has, he travels back and forth between heaven and earth. He's got this one, th so if he's got one third, how many do we got on our side? Is that good news this morning? Real simple math. <laughs> so one-third, what do they do? They're set up. These fallen angels or demons are set up in some kind of hierarchy in order to do his bidding on the earth. And what is his bidding? To steal, to kill, and destroy, Jesus said in John chapter 10. And so I would say the devil is very wicked and very influential as we read, as we read through this passage 
And notice what it says in the next part of that verse. It says, and the dragon stood before... Who's the dragon again? Satan. Satan. Who's the woman? Israel. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child. Who's the child? Jesus. As soon as it was born. The devil tried to destroy the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he was born, before he was born. And after he was born, correct? Matthew chapter 2. You guys remember the Christmas story? You guys remember that? You guys remember that? Yeah. Jesus was born. The wise men showed up a little late for the party. But they showed up, didn't they? Wise men from the east, they come cruising in. Their big old posse. They roll, they roll into Jerusalem. And Herod's like, what's going on? And they're looking for the king of the... Where's the king of the Jews? Where's he at? We saw his star. We saw the Shekinah glory. It's the Shekinah glory of it's God leading them all the way to the house where Jesus was. But Herod's tripping out. Another king besides me? And then what does he do? He wants to get some information from the religious leaders. Where is he supposed to be? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is the king supposed to be born? Bethlehem, right? And so in a dream, Joseph... And Mary get warned to do what? Get out, of, get out of town. Bail out. Why? Because Herod's on the war path. He wants to kill baby Jesus or child Jesus at that time. Toddler Jesus, if you will. And what did Herod do? He, he said, tell, tell me where he's going to be born. I want to worship him. Did he want to worship Jesus with a hatchet, right, to take him out? He had his army go and kill all the babies and toddlers to and under and, it's, and we see, what is it? It's demonic. It's satanic. All the way from the beginning, anytime that Satan, anytime you see someone trying to take out God's people, the Jews, or the lineage of the Jews, and we see it, don't we? Haman, remember Haman tried to have all the Jews exterminated? Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh tried to have all the baby, the male babies thrown in the river and kill them all to wipe them out? Nothing's new under the sun. It's continued through history, hasn't it? With France, with Spain, with the Russians, with Nazi Germany, up to today, also the Muslims are trying to kill Jews. Correct? Is that what's going on? Anti-Semitism has been going on, and who's behind it? The devil's behind it. That's why, let me, let me exhort you today, do not get involved with anti-Semitism. In fact, God said to Abraham, he will bless those who bless his people and curse those who curse his people. You're, listen, you're, number one, you're barking up the wrong tree. And number two, if you are anti-Semitic, if you're anti-Jewish, it is demonic and satanic and you need to repent. It's sin. Super crucial to understand. Why? why? What did they do? Why would you be, why, what did they do to you if you're anti-Semitic? And, they, and, and, and listen, they're not, the, they're not perfect by any means. But you think about what's going on. Why are they trying to be exterminated? The devil knows from the beginning, Genesis 3.15. He's going to get crushed. His head is crushed, man. His time is about to expire. And what is he trying to do? He tried to stop the first coming, and he's going to try to stop the second coming also before he's done for all eternity. And so the deal is, though, he continues to try to... Try, to try and prevent God's work, but God's word will always come to pass. 
Always. His work, his word will always come to pass. Because look at verse 5. What happened? She bore a male child. Who she? Israel brought forth the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who will one day rule the entire world as King of kings and Lord of lords with a rod of iron. We learned that in Psalm 2, right? Psalm 2 speaks of that. Revelation 19 also speaks of that, that when Jesus comes, he will rule. When he rules with a rod of iron, that means he tolerates no nonsense during his thousand-year reign. No crime, no bad stuff, no terrorism, nothing. He will rule and he will reign. And then notice what it says. And her child, who's her child? Jesus was caught up to God and his throne. Jesus came. He was born. He lived a perfect life, sinless life. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He willingly laid down his life for you and for me. He suffered, died, and was buried, and rose again the third day. He ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God, and he will come again to rule and reign and set up his kingdom, and we get to gloriously be part of that kingdom by his grace. And so please note that this child um, is not the church, or, this, or the, the, the woman is not the church, rather, because the church doesn't give birth to Jesus. Does the church give birth to Jesus? No, Jesus gives birth to us, doesn't he? We're spiritually born again and brought into his family, nor can this be Mary. There's some, you know, there's some churches that believe this is Mary. Some Protestant churches believe this is the, the church replacing Israel, but that's not true. Some people believe this woman is Mary. The problem is, let's read the next verse. It doesn't apply to her. Look what it says in verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So what does John see next? He sees Israel flee, going eastbound, by the way. That's the Judean wilderness. That's right there outside of Jerusalem. And then on into Jordan, modern-day Jordan. That's the direction that she's headed. And God prepared what? A hiding place for Israel where she will be taken care of for how long? Three and a half years, that's right, 1,260 days, which corresponds to the last half of the tribulation period. Are you with me? Still? You good? Okay, good. Why does she go on the run? Why does she go on the run? Persecution, absolutely. We see behind this, look at the next verses. Let's read it. Look what happens. We get the behind the scenes picture of what happens. And war broke out in heaven... Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. How did, how did it roll out? What happened? But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Why? For the accuser of our brethren 
who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is so beautiful. And they overcame him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So what does John see? He gets a, he gets a sneak peek in the heavenlies of a battle that breaks out, a war that breaks out between who? Michael and the faithful angels and Satan and the fallen angels. And was that the first time they ever got, they tangled? First time they ever threw down? Jude 9, right? There was a dispute over the body of Moses, it tells us in that book. And so what's the result of this battle, of this war? The devil and his crew were kicked out of heaven for good. For good. No access is denied. They can no longer come back into the presence of God. In fact, look at verse 9 with me. The the, uh, great dragon, the vicious great dragon, the devil is given the boot. And we learned a few few things here and are reminded that, number one, he's the serpent of old. What does that refer to? Genesis chapter 3. Remember, he came and tempted Eve, right? And what happened? You guys remember, Adam and Eve did what? They went against God. They took the fruit that they weren't supposed to. They introduced sin into the human race. And so um, the battle of the dragon against the Messiah began a long time ago. This battle has this battle goes all the way back to the beginning. And guess what? We're involved in this battle as well today. Oh, we see, we don't see behind the scenes like John is seeing here, but we see it happening all around us. The effects of that battle in our lives, sometimes in our homes, sometimes in the church, sometimes in the community, and definitely in the world as well. And so notice the one behind this, the serpent of old called the devil. Devil means slanderer or accuser. And we see that happen in the book of Job, right? You guys remember that in the book of Job where, the, where Satan slandered Job? It slanders God, slandered God to Eve as well. He's the accuser. He's also called Satan, which means adversary or enemy or one who opposes He's against. That's what, his, that's, what he, that's what his name means, in opposition to, against. He is opposed to God. He is opposed to God's word. He is opposed to God's work in your life, in my life, our marriages, our homes, our ministries. He comes against us. Why? Why? He seeks to, to devour us, to wipe us out, to take us out. But let me remind us this morning, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And so... Notice also how influential, influential is he? Look what it says in this verse. It's wild. He deceives who? The whole, what's your Bible say? The whole world. He deceives the, he has the entire planet fooled. 1 John 5.19 tells us the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. How influential is he? He's got the whole world fooled. Second Corinthians tells us that he blinds the eyes of those that don't know Jesus. He has them blinded. And so 
He has influence behind the scenes as the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. So he shows up on earth, right? Peter says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We learn from the book of Job that he travels back and forth between heaven and earth at times. Um, And the Bible tells us we are not to be ignorant. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are not to be ignorant of his tactics or his devices. And sadly, we often are, aren't we? We're ignorant of his devices, where he's bringing division. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The fight that we have is not against humans. It's a spiritual battle. And God has given us, God has given us spiritual weapons to fight this battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Amen. To use, to fight in this battle, this spiritual battle that we are in. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've enlisted in the Lord's army. I may never march in the infantry, ride into Calvary, or shoot the artillery, but I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. I'm part of his army now. And so I follow him. And so we wage warfare. We put on the full armor of God every day. We use the weapons that he's given us, the word of God in prayer. We keep those big guns firing in prayer. We, we keep the word of God in our heart and ready to share with those that God brings into our lives to bring truth, right, wherever we go. And so... Um, the tactics of, of the dragon are what? Are lies, accusations, right? Deception, opposing that which is good in our lives, opposing God in our lives, bringing lies into our lives, and bringing no hope into people's lives as well. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they might have life. Jesus came that you and I might have life, guys, that we might have hope. That we, might have, that we might have all the blessings that come by his grace, that we might walk with him every day to follow his lead as our good shepherd, that our lives would thrive and abound under his care. Well, notice what it says at the end of that verse. He was cast to the earth. The devil and his angels were cast out and uh, completely evicted from heaven at this point in the middle of the tribulation period. And when this happens, an announcement is made. Look at verse 10. John hears this amazing announcement, this voice, right, with the volume cranked way up, making this joyful proclamation. What's the joyful proclamation? Now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Just as God said it would, the kingdom has come. But there's three and a half more years. But listen, when God says it, it's from his perspective, it's a done deal. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Did we talk about that last week? It's a done deal. When God says it, when he- from heaven's perspective, it's already done. It's a finished deal. Rescue, deliverance has arrived. Power and might has arrived. God's kingdom has arrived. The Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, authority and jurisdiction has arrived. From heaven's perspective, it is good as done. When God says it, it it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. Correct? So how can they proclaim this? Look at that that next part of that verse. Why do they proclaim this? For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. The devil has been evicted completely. He's gone What was he previously doing? Isn't that interesting what he's been previously doing all along? 
all the way up to the midpoint of tribulation, what's he been doing? Around the clock, right in front of God, the devil made accusations against who? You and I, God's people, the brethren, over and over. Did the accusation stick? You don't sound too confident. Did the accusation stick this morning? No way, Jose. How do we know that? Look at the next verse. Aren't you glad? Anybody glad for that? Could he make accusations? Does he make accusations? He does. Why don't they stick? Here's, here's how you win the battle right here. This is beautiful, isn't this? Number one, what does it say? Three things are mentioned by which the dragon was overcome. Three things are mentioned that keep God's children free from accusation. Three things are mentioned that protect us from the accusations of the evil one. Three things are mentioned, listen, that make us more than conquerors. That word overcame means to conquer, to be victorious. Number one, the blood of the lamb. Amen. That's beautiful. The blood of the lamb. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus shed his blood. When we read that he shed his blood, it means he poured out his life. He gave his life for you and for me. When he hung on the cross, he took your place and he took my place, absorbing the punishment, the judgment, and the wrath that your sins and my sins deserved. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus willingly laid down his life. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, of the world. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus' shed blood, his complete work on the cross, we are completely forgiven of our sins and our lawless deeds. In fact, God says, your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more because you put your faith and trust in my son who took your place. We are made righteous by his work, by his blood. That's faith. Faith, hope, and love in this section right here. Number two, by the word of their what? Testimony. The word of their testimony. To testify. What do you mean to testify? To go on record, right? If you go to court and you have to testify, what do you do? You tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. To testify means to bear witness to, to go on record, to share what you know, right? When we are testifying when we bear witness. In fact, Jesus said that you shall be my witnesses when power comes upon you. Jesus gives us power to be his witnesses, to testify with our lives and with our lips to a lost and a crooked and dying world around us to testify that he is alive. Do you guys remember anybody that shared with you, witness, witness to you? You looked at their life. I was sharing at our 7 a.m. service that I remember the nutcases that share with me. I'm so glad. Like, thank you, Lord, for sending these nut jobs into my life. Because they weren't the slickest sharers of the gospel, but they shared the truth with me. It may not even have been in love. It was like, you got to turn, you get burned, dude. <laughs> and at the time, I'm like, you know what? Buzz off, bro. 
But then someone would come along and they'd share the gospel with me and it was like smooth and I'd watch their life and their life backed up what they were sharing. And I was like, wow, what is that dude tapped into? And so I am eternally grateful both for the nut jobs and for the ones that weren't so nutty that shared with me. Aren't, aren't you glad people shared with you the good news? We wouldn't be here without it. We wouldn't be, maybe you've walked with the Lord your whole life. Thank you for, thank your parents for pouring into you, for living a real, genuine, authentic Christian life. Because listen, a testimony, a witness, it's one thing to know about Jesus or to know about what he's done. It's totally different than to know him personally and to walk with him. Oh, you know who he is and what he's done, but you know him and have a relationship with him. And your life testifies to that fact. In the book of Acts, when people gave witness, it was witness that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive in their hearts. In fact, they pointed, the people pointed to them and said, they're Christians, they're like little Jesuses. They're of the way. They go a certain direction with their lives. And so the testimony, the word of their, how do we overcome? The word of our testimony. Look at what he's done. Look at what Jesus has done. He, I'm forgiven because of Jesus. Aren't you glad you're forgiven because of Jesus? My life is radically changed. I start fresh with Jesus every day. His mercies are new each and every day because of his grace. I know I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Thank you, Lord. You're not done with me. That you're molding and shaping and working in my heart and my life. I'm not perfect, but perfectly forgiven. I thank you, Lord, for that. And so there's a realness. There's a genuineness. And you know what? We have hope, don't we now? Do we have hope now? Amen. Now you and I get to share our testimony with those who have no hope. I see it all around. What are people putting their hope in? I have no hope, so I'm going to do what? I'm going to smoke some dope. I'm going to shoot up. I'm going to get drunk. I'm, I'm living for this world. It's going to satisfy me. I'm going to find fulfillment in the things of this earth. And guess what? You will not find it out there. It's only found in Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. He's our living hope. And we have hope to share with people that are searching for answers right now. They're trying to make heads, heads or tails of what's going on in the news, what's happening. Man, it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's not getting gooder and gooder and gooder. And who's got the answers? You and I do in God's word. And you have a testimony. And he says here, by the word of their testimony... They overcome. And then look at they did not love their lives to the death. That speaks of a life lived full on for Jesus. And not for the things of this world. A life free from self-preservation. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians, didn't he? For me to live is Christ. For me, to me. For me. I don't know about you. But to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Didn't Jesus say something about that? If we lose our life? Did he say something like that? Save our life. You save your life. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will save it or preserve it. And you know, there are so many people that are obsessed with fear and survival. Obsessed with staying alive, staying alive. 
To the point you're to the point you're like the walking dead. Paralyzed from fear. Not engaged in the life that God has for you. Oh, we've seen it, haven't we, during COVID? Some of us are, yes. Listen, fear steals your life. I'm not saying be stupid, but fear will steal your life. Life is short, live full on for Jesus. These people said, you know what? It's Jesus who rescued me and saved me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's because of Jesus. I do what I do. I live full on for him. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. My life is in his hands. My life is a blank check to be used for him because he purchased me with his precious blood. May your will be done. Not my will be done anymore. I made a mess of my life. Lord, you lead, you guide, you shepherd me. Here's my life for you. You lay down your life for me. I'm giving my life to you as a living sacrifice. And what's so beautiful is, can you imagine the scene in heaven? There's the father. Right? He's on the throne. He's the judge. And there is Satan, the accuser. And he's accusing you and accusing me. And you know what? He probably doesn't even know half of it. Because he can't read my mind. Our minds are jacked up, aren't they? He just sees the stuff I say and do. And there's Jesus, our wonderful counselor. And what does he say? This one's mine. He's forgiven, washed in my blood. How glorious is that? Are you excited about that this morning? And in light of that, you know that. I know that. We say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. It should have a radical impact on how we live our lives. Am I going to go the way of the dragon or the way of the lamb? The way of the dragon or the way of the lamb of God? Which way are you going to go? We choose, don't we? The way we want to go? Are you deceiving people? Are you a phony? Are you accusing the brethren? Are you bitter? Angry? Unforgiving? Then you're going the way of the dragon. Or we choose to go the way of the lamb. What's the way of the lamb? You guys know. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. took the form of a servant, became obedient. Even to the point of death, he was obedient. That's the way of the lamb. That's the way of brokenness. If I'm full of pride, if I'm lifting myself up, that's the way of the dragon. And we can do that, can't we? I, listen, I'm, I'm exhorting myself this morning. There's sometimes I make accusations against people that I think that are serving the devil, and it's like, well, what am I doing here? I'm doing, the, I'm doing the devil's work. I'm going the way of the dragon. Oh, God, forgive me. 
Because we're either going to be on one side or the other in the battle. Whose side are you on in this battle? Battle's going on, isn't it? And there's times we can think we're on God's side when we're really not. And it's like, I want to be on God's side in this battle. I want to see his kingdom come. His will be done. And so we follow the lamb like we learned earlier. We follow the lamb wherever he goes. We follow his example. We humble ourselves, make ourselves of no reputation. We serve and we do what? We become obedient no matter what the cost. And then it finishes. You ready? Last verse. We done? Good? Ready to go? Okay. Last verse. Therefore, what should we do? Rejoice, O heavens. Yes. And you who dwell in them. But woe the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, a call to look out, beware, for those left on, plan- on the planet. Why? The devil has been completely evicted from heaven. He's coming to the planet earth. He's super ticked off. Why? Because he knows his time is about to expire. Time of Jacob's trouble is about to ramp up even more. It goes to the tri- from the tribulation now to the great tribulation, the last three and a half years, but we know the end of the story, don't we? Revelation 19, Jesus comes, Satan gets bound up, right, put in prison, and then on to the lake of fire for all eternity, and we win. Is it good to, good, good to know this morning you're on the winning team? And so may we follow the Lamb, follow Jesus, his example, and bring glory to him in his name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. You're so good. You're so great, Lord, so greatly to be praised. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord. So frequently we tend to go towards the way of the dragon when we must go your way, the way of the lamb. I pray you'd help us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for not giving up on us, Jesus, for continuing to shepherd our lives, for cherishing us, for loving us. Thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in you, who walk no longer according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. You've made us alive. Lord, thank you for the new life birthed within us, the life of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord, for that. May we follow your lead and bring you honor and glory. And as we're still in an attitude of prayer this morning, as we finish our Bible study, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe you've been listening this morning and you've never come to know Jesus Christ personally. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. It's concerning him. And right where you're sitting, I would love to pray with you, to pray for you. You want to give your heart to Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Is that you? Would you raise up your hand? Let me pray with you this morning. Real simple, as you open your heart to him, as you give your heart to him. Anyone at all here this morning saying, yeah, Mike, that's me anyone at all. Father, thank you so much again for this amazing family that you've brought together. I pray, Lord, you'd help us. Keep us close to your heart. Continue, Lord, the marvelous work you've begun. Thank you for the fruit that we get to see. Thank you for the fruit that's yet to come as we continue to sow good seeds promise that we would reap if we do not lose heart. I pray, Lord Jesus, for my precious brothers and sisters that perhaps are losing heart, that today they would set their eyes upon you and fix their gaze upon the author and finisher of our faith.
Would you strengthen us? Empower us, God, to be your witnesses. Fill us afresh this day that we would testify that you are alive, Jesus. We thank you so much for that privilege, that honor. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, your precious and holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, may the Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you in Jesus' name.